One of the great things about traveling is the people you meet and South America, unlike Southeast Asia perhaps, has a more diverse range of people and uh, that means you meet less Irish people. So when you do meet an Irish person, especially when they're from your hometown Limerick, it's always very nice. This is Curious in Latin America, I'm Eric Moylan and this week I'm speaking from Quito in Ecuador and I'm delighted to be joined by Will Bennett. Will, how are you doing? Hey, not too bad, thanks for having me. Uh, now, just if you could outline your trip, um, I've met a lot of backpackers, but uh, you're probably not backpacking, it's fair to say. What are you doing? Um, I'm giving it a shot to try and cycle around the world. So I started out in Ireland back in January 2015, and since then I've been slowly trying to traverse my way around the world, only by using a bicycle, um, except when it comes to oceans, when I'll hitch a boat or take a plane. So you're not going to swim across the ocean? <laughs> uh, probably not. Take <laughs> that that would be a little bit too much. Uh, so tell me, yeah, how far are you in? Basically, you started about January last year. So where have you covered and what distance have you done so far? Uh, so starting out in January 2015, I took the boat from Rosslayer to France. Uh, headed straight across Europe in the winter. Um, I probably didn't take the smartest routes. I went through Poland and Ukraine in the winter, which is a fairly harsh start. Cold. A bit cold, yeah. A few cold nights in the tent, but uh, I survived, which is the main thing. And uh, then headed down to Istanbul, and from there headed across Turkey, uh, Iran, and into all the stands in Central Asia, which are impossible to name. Yeah, and most people might have even heard of some of them, to be fair. So you went through uh, that part of the world and then down into Asia. So you went to Southeast Asia and Australia, was it? Exactly, yeah. So across China, uh, again in the winter, uh, not really ideal again. Uh, down into Southeast Asia, which is more like a holiday, really. And down from Singapore, I decided to island hop to Australia. So I picked four different islands, Borneo, Sulawesi... Flores and Timor, uh, cycled across them, getting boats in between, and then finally took a flight to Australia. And then from Australia to, to this continent, basically, to Latin America, South America. Exactly, yeah. Crossed Australia through the outback, Darwin down to Adelaide, uh, then cycled across to Sydney, and then took a flight across the Pacific over to Bogota, and now I'm slowly making my way down through South America. Uh, I'm tired just hearing that, so I mean, you must be exhausted. How many kilometres have you covered? Uh, overall, it's 33,900. Like, to put, to put that in perspective, Dublin to New York is about 5,000. So, I mean, you're talking about already, and you've more to go, uh, you're talking about cycling to New York seven times nearly. Like, that is bananas. Like, what possessed you to do this? Um, it's probably a good question, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but... I know it's always been like a dream of mine. I always wanted to see the world and I also wanted a challenge at the same time. I've always been big into adventure sports, uh, rock climbing, mountain biking. So I wanted to kind of combine travel and seeing the world with a really kind of big personal challenge. And for me, that was cycling. So when I can merge physical challenge and just adventure and seeing everything I want to see, it seemed like the best combination. How tough is it because you know, like, the, it, it's huge distances and it's kind of hard to get the mind around. So, like, how many kilometres roughly would you cycle a day? And physically, like, you must be drained. You must be eating non-stop. You must be sleeping non-stop. Like, how tough is it physically? Um, physically, yeah, it is quite tough. Um, I try and average around 100 kilometres a day in most countries. But places like South America, where the, you basically have no flat land, the road is going up and down and straight up again, I'd only manage maybe 80 kilometres. Only. <laughs> Only. But, uh, 
but yeah it is quite physically draining um in australia for example i when i get into the tent at night i'd sleep for 12 hours before getting up the next day and starting again it's kind of non-stop really and you, you mentioned the tent there as well so obviously and we, we happen to bump into each other randomly in a in a hostel uh, here in quito but you are sleeping in tents and you'd have to obviously because you'll be in so many towns and countries that just aren't open for tourism or, or, or backpackers or anything like that so you are camping out quite a bit exactly yeah and for cost reasons like um you can't really do a three-year tour around the world staying in hotels the whole way uh it kind of take away from the adventure as well it's very important to kind of be in the outdoors and wild camp where you can and adventure i mean again you mentioned that word a few times adventure it certainly is like what are some of the i suppose the high points that you've had in terms of whether it's it's uh places you've been things you've seen or even accomplishments i mean you're, you're obviously climbing some massive hills and mountains so there must be a great sense of achievement what are some of the highlights for you um probably the biggest highlight for me was tajikistan um one of those unnameable stands in the middle of asia um it was just uh, a very kind of wild and rugged country where it's somewhere not many people get to because uh, there's no public transport system, there's no buses, no trains. The only way you can get there is if you have your own 4x4 motorbike or bicycle. And you're going on these amazing mountain roads where not that many people get to. And people are just so welcoming because not that many people pass through. You've, it's just like an immense adventure the whole way. You must actually be, the interaction you must have with, with locals must be some, quite something because again, you're rolling into towns, probably where in like villages where you know there mightn't have been a, a Western person the last twenty years or something. So you must be getting a great kind of authentic, uh, you know, experience, in, particularly in these in these off the beaten road countries. Yeah, um, to help me along the way, I kind of learned a few languages, or I did my best anyway, and that really helped when people would invite me into their villages. I could chat away to them, and they kind of were usually happy that someone went to the effort of learning some of their language and they'd be even more welcoming. But um, kind of in the grand scheme of things, there wouldn't be too many villages I've gone to where there's not white people I've gone before. Kind of, we, we've a good habit of getting around. <laughs> like a lot of cyclists do pass through similar routes. I guess kind of China and Indonesia would be the only places where I went where I was a real kind of novelty, where people hadn't passed through in a long time. And in those kind of places, people would, their eyes would be wide open. Children would shriek when they saw me, um, which usually doesn't happen back home, I promise. <laughs> no. And uh, yeah, it was just um, those kind of places that yeah, was a bit overwhelming at times, but it was always kind of great to go into these places. You know, you're kind of really off the beaten path when you're receiving that kind of reaction. And uh, I'd imagine as well, like conversely, there's, there's probably been some low points as well. You know, mechanical failures, crap weather, fatigue, you must as well go days, weeks without meeting we'd say, other English speakers, you know, and you've learned a few languages that you've mentioned there as well. So conversely, what are some of the tough points or low points that you've had so far? Um, probably China would have been the toughest. Um, like you say, you go a long time without meeting English speakers at certain points, and China would have been one of those. Um, it's just uh, when you're going kind of three or four weeks, without any conversation, no real human interaction, it does start to become quite difficult. And I think this kind of adventures like this, a lot of the time are a mental challenge more than a physical challenge. Like the physical challenge is there 
and it's always testing you but the mental side of it I think is a lot harder and what can cause you to give up in the end and in China like it was definitely one of my lowest points because you just can't talk to people you have to kind of battle on alone and you just have to keep going and wait until you can finally have that first English conversation in months and you know it's not like you're going to be there on your phone with your 3G or 4G or whatever as well it is it must be a huge mental challenge so like how do you just tough it out like do you, what do you do in those situations when you're in China you know people are kind of there not used to seeing travellers and you haven't spoken to anyone in weeks what do you do to, to get through that that portion of those tough periods um it's yeah it's a tough question uh you kind of just have to withdraw within to yourself um your only conversations are with yourself in your own mind it's almost like going crazy for a while <laughs> but uh all you can do really is just put the head down and keep going just grit your teeth and know that it will be over you just have to if you have like a bigger dream like um in the big you think of the big picture so i know that i really desperately want to complete this journey cycling the whole way so you just need to think of the bigger picture put the head down grit the teeth and know that better days are coming is this for you is it about achieving something and, and about this adventure and about getting to the end or is it a bit more about countries you'll see i mean you're obviously going to see a huge amount of the world so is it more about achieving the goal or just the journey and seeing places as you go um i guess it's kind of a combination of the two um i kind of set out with this physical challenge like a lot of my life is um built around achieving goals physical challenges and it's something i love doing it's kind of pushing myself to the next um the next challenge and trying to achieve it it's just a nice feeling being able to do something you don't think you can achieve um but also yeah the travel is something that's very big in, or a very big part of it um i've always wanted to see the world as a kid so i don't want it to become just about the physical challenge i do want to complete it but i also want to take an interesting route see as many interesting countries and just have as good a time as i can and experience the world as it really is and i'd imagine and i, I think you kind of mentioned off mic as well like you you have obviously a bit of downtime so mm -hmm. say you're in keto here you're in a hostel as opposed to a tent mm. and you, know, you can go have a few drinks or do a bit of sightseeing and I'd imagine you've done tons of that you know one thing I've you read about when you go to certain countries like watch out for this you know and obviously you're conscious that you don't want to get mugged or anything like that you must have in your your journey so far come across and, and that been in some dodgy kind of situations mm. you know has there been anything particularly worrisome or, or dangerous that, that you've encountered so far um, yeah, 99% of the world is, um, tr they're truly good people, like um, they're just people uh, working hard, trying to raise their own family, and no matter what religion they are, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, no religion at all, they mainly are good people, but there is that 1%, and when you're on a journey this long, it's kind of inevitable that you will meet some of that 1%, and that has happened a couple of times. Um, I've had a few cases where people have broken up my lockers and hostels, robbed laptops, uh, hard drives, um, money I'd stashed away. Um, but kind of, I guess the worst incident I had was, it's kind of like a betrayal of trust, where uh, my first day in Mongolia, a man had invited me into his home to stay with his family. And this had been happening all across Central Asia. Uh, people had been inviting me back to their house to stay, and I'd chat with them for the evening, and it'd be 
we just exchange information, I guess, about our cultures and have a great evening together. And these were always fantastic interactions and it's kind of what traveling is all about. But in Mongolia, I was invited into home and I decided, you know, this is the best way to get to know a culture. So I took up the invitation, uh, stayed, decided to stay in his home and the wife was lovely, the kids were lovely um, and I thought the host was lovely. But he came back later that evening and we shared some vodka together and basically his plan, I found out later, was to get me drunk so that he could rob all my equipment. Uh, but being Irish, uh, half a bottle of vodka wasn't really enough to get me drunk and he ended up a bit worse for wear than I was, which wasn't his plan. So um, while I'd gone out to use the toilet, um, I came back in and I noticed he, uh, he'd stolen two of my bags. So I called him out on it. Uh, he got very aggressive and started uh, throwing me around the house, smashing me into the wall, um, and then started punching me in the head. So I took a couple of blows to the head and realized I can't really fight back here. There's weapons here, his wife is in the house as well. I don't know how she'll react. So I had no option but to try and escape out the door. It was kind of fight or flight and flight made the most sense to me at that moment. So I ran into the porch and tried to put my shoes on, but he came in for another attack. He was just full of rage, knocking me down to the ground. So I just sprinted out the door with just the one shoe on. So managed to get about 10 meters down the road, not the greatest escape ever. And he comes out after me and drags me by the shoulder, tries to knock me down to the ground again. And this was just about 2 a.m. in the middle of this very remote Mongolian village. No one around, no real roads, just gravel in between the houses. And he's just punching me in the head again. So I scream for his wife to help. She comes over and he just pushes her away and she runs back into the house afraid. So um, at this stage I started screaming for help. Still kind of I didn't want to fight back because it could go very far in this kind of situation. Um, but no one would come to my aid. And as I was shouting for help, he was punching me harder and harder in the head. So I think I had about seven punches, proper punches in the head at this stage. So I kind of had to fight back. There's no, no escape. So I had my headlight on when I'd gone out to use the toilet. I uh, switched on my headlight to try and blind him. And when I noticed he was blinded, I just put absolutely everything I had into the biggest right hook I could. And it must have been channeling Conor McGregor because this just knocked him straight down to the ground and ended up breaking his jaw and knocking out two of his teeth. So he was flattened down on the ground and I decided to try and make a break for it. So I ran into the middle of the night and uh, managed to climb over a wall into a military facility as he, um, he was still on the ground. So I was frantically looking for somewhere to hide. Uh, but then I heard the sound of a motorbike starting up and it was him coming up uh, after getting back to his feet and trying to chase me down. So I had no choice then but to try and get over a barbed wire fence with a broken hand now after the punch. I did him so hard and uh, managed to get over that anyway, over a second fence. And of course, then I managed to slip my hand on that. So now I had uh, blood streaming out of my left hand. My right hand was broken and I had one shoeless foot, which was starting to get bloodied from all the gravel and all the running. So it wasn't really an ideal situation to be in. And I could hear him uh, driving around looking for me on his motorbike. So the only option I had in the end was to sprint across this 200 meter patch of gravel to the next building at the edge of the village. 
and I knew if he found me on the motorbike out there that I was done for. So I took out um, a small knife I had. I managed to like grab one of my bags and bring it with me before I escaped the house. And I had a tiny knife in that. So I held that in my right hand. I wrapped up the left hand in my t-shirt to stop the blood loss and just started running as fast as I could across this patch of gravel. And I knew if he found me out there on the motorbike, I was a complete open target. So as fast as I could, I went just with the knife held and I knew if he came at me, I'd just have to attack him with that. So luckily I made it across over to the barbed wire fence of the third, <laughs> third building, managed to get over that and finally found a place to hide. And I ended up having to hide there, crouching down for four hours as he was searching for me on his motorbike. And in the end, it all worked out okay. I was able to hide out. He didn't find me. And by the time daylight came, I was able to limp back into the village and get a bit of an audience together. I spoke a tiny bit of Russian, so I was able to tell people what happened. So by the time he did find me in the morning, still driving around on his motorbike, there was enough people there that he wouldn't try anything. It's remarkable. Like, that is... Like literally, I mean, talk about muggings and stuff. That like your life was potentially in, in danger there, mm -hmm. you know. And you got a lot of blows. You injured yourself. You broke yeah. your hand. Like, did that not put you off? I mean, obviously not. You're here, but God, like a lot of people just would have said, "Fuck that, I'm going home." Yeah. No, but you didn't well, obviously. Well, I was kind of I was ready to pack it in. Kind of as I was sitting there hiding out from him and listening to his motorbike driving by, I kind of just decided, uh, screw this. This isn't worth the risk. Um, I'm getting the hell out of Mongolia, I'm going back to Ireland, I'm having a few pints of Guinness, seeing my friends, you know, it's not worth it. But then kind of in the cold light of day, once I managed to escape, my reasoning was I couldn't quit because I couldn't let this one bad guy I'd met have the last say out of like the thousands of lovely people I'd met up to this point. I couldn't let this one bad guy ruin the trip and end the dream. I had to keep going. And to be fair, I mean, you kind of alluded to it, I'm sure you've had plenty of people and you've said it already bring you into their home mm. give you a meal give you a bed mm. and just real kindness and that like it's not as dramatic as that yeah. story but it's it that's the more frequent story i guess is that is that kindness yeah. as opposed to that kind of aggression exactly like as i said 99 percent of people are wonderful so stories like this they kind of sound more shocking and uh but the cases like they're very rare most cyclists will go around the world and have nothing that bad ever happen to them this was just one piece of bad luck and if I was to tell you about the whole story of my tale, it would be 99% families inviting me into their homes, people stopping me by the side of the road, like in Iran, a country where many people might be afraid of because of the media or how the government is portrayed. And the government is bad. It's um, the ruling power there is um, very corrupt. They do a lot of bad things, but the vast majority of the people do not approve of their government. They're lovely, welcoming people. And in Iran, most of my time was just spent being pulled over by people who'd hand me food and drink. They'd like, um, if they found out I had no credit on my phone, they'd try and tap it up for me. Um, it was just immense kindness. And that's what the whole journey has been like. The world just basically helping me out. They see you're vulnerable, you're on a bicycle, and they really just want to help you with your journey. And that's kind of the, I guess, the main story of it. Well, that's that's good to hear at least and uh, I suppose just kind of wrap up you you've still a good bit to go um so I suppose what's the route uh before you land back in Ireland and where are you looking forward to along uh what you've left along the route uh from here uh we're in Quito now in Ecuador and the plan is to continue south into Peru uh across into Bolivia across the Alto Plano 
and then across Paraguay, Brazil, and Uruguay. So kind of a crossing of South America from the Atlantic to the Pacific, or Pacific to the Atlantic, yeah. And uh, then fly from there to South Africa, and then the plan is to cycle Cape Town up to Cairo, and then the last leg home will be Europe, a final sprint across Europe by going well. <laughs> a sprint across the continent, yeah, yeah just a little sprint. Uh, well, look, fantastic. And when, actually, when, when are you going to be walking around Limerick? When are you back in Ireland uh, again? Hopefully Christmas 2017. I'll be home for a few Guinnesses. Yeah, and, going well. and a big roast. I'm sure you'll be looking forward to the home yeah. cook and warm shower. Listen, thanks so much for chatting to me. Uh, look after yourself. Enjoy it. It sounds magnificent. And uh, yeah, just take care and happy cycling. Yeah, thanks for having me. All the best. That's it for this edition of Curious in Latin America. You can get me on Twitter at Eric Moreland. Until next time, adios.